Who knew in the moment? The premise of the show is that as you're living your life, very rarely do you realize the magnitude of a moment while it's happening. However, in hindsight, we can see all of the pivotal moments that led to where we're at. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I'm honored to have Alex Katz with me. Alex is a professional baseball player. He's also the founder of Stadium Custom Kicks, and uh, I'm really excited to highlight his story because as he's been pursuing his passion, he's found ways to turn passion into profits. And so, Alex, thanks so much for being on today, my man. Yeah, thanks so much, Phil. You bet. So to start off with your story, uh, grew up, growing up, grew up in New York, and you loved shoes. So talk a little bit about where the love of shoes came from. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I was too big of a sneakerhead growing <laughs> up. Um, I remember my family wouldn't would never buy a shoe for me until I, I until I outgrew it. So yeah. you know, maybe maybe I had one pair, one or two pairs a year. Um, you know, finally when my foot stopped growing, I think that's when I really became a sneakerhead when I realized that, you know, if, if I buy this shoe and don't wear it for a few months, it'll, you know, I can still wear it in a year or two. Um, so, um, I think, I think once that happened, I started to really get into different kinds of shoes, different Jordans, different cool looking cleats. And then, um, over time it, it just started to turn into a little hobby and, and the, the shoe collection has, has grown significantly. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, additionally, you had a passion for that, but you also had a passion for sports. So talk about getting introduced to baseball and, uh, you know, obviously in your life, and I don't know if you're a Yankees fan or not, but growing up, uh, you know, being in New York, Yankees were a heck of a team at that time. So I'm sure there's a little bit of that, that, uh, came into your world. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much, you know, grew up around baseball. Um, you know, when I was four or five years old, my, my parents put me into the local little league and my dad helped coach me and played catch with me. I remember my dad wasn't sure if I was a lefty or righty. Um, I couldn't really do either. So he pretty much forced me to be a lefty because I, I do everything, pretty much everything else. Righty. I eat righty. I, I write righty. Um, yeah. so I think I am a righty, but sports wise, I'm a lefty and I'm glad he did that because, uh, it's a lot, you know, a lot smoother or a lot easier to become a professional athlete or work your way <laughs> up as a as a left-handed pitcher and righty. There's there's so many righty pitchers out there, but uh, baseball was always has always been my number one passion. Still is my number one passion, um, and it's it's definitely a dream come true to be playing professional baseball right now. You bet. Now, as you're growing up, you know a lot of kids enjoy a sport but at some point if you really want to have an opportunity at the next level whether that's high school or college or to where you're at today professionally you have to more than enjoy the sport you really got to buy in and be all about the sport so was there a point in time in your life where you started really like all right this is what I want to be doing you know when I get to college yeah I think I don't I don't know I don't really remember when that started when I wanted to become a professional baseball player I know when I was like four or five and six years old and saw my, my dad and his friends working on around the house, I wanted to be a carpenter. I wanted to build houses. Um, but I think pretty quickly after that, you know, I think, and, you know, to, to current day, I think the, the, the dream is to make it to the big leagues. And, you know, obviously I am a professional baseball player, but haven't reached a big league level yet. So the dream is still alive. And 
yeah. as far as I can remember, after that uh, construction carpenter dream died, um, it, it's been it, it's been the same dream ever since. I love it. So as you're progressing through high school, you start to be become quite the player. And at what point did you really start realizing, hey, playing at college is going to be something that I'm going to have the opportunity to do? Yeah, I think in, in Little League, I was always one of the top players. Um, I remember there was like a, a draft because there were like <laughs> six different Little League teams. And I was always one of the first guys picked. Um, so I, 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 I always was, you know, I always had one of the best arms and I always was one of the better hitters. Um, you know, obviously that changes cause there's plenty of kids that were good in little league that end up not even playing baseball anymore a few years later or, yeah. or being mediocre. They just developed really early, but I think just cause it was such a passion of mine, I kept working my butt off, you know, even realizing that I was talented cause you know, if, if, if you're talented and don't work hard, you could, you could be average. So, you know, I, I knew that I had talent and I could, and I could take it places. I knew that I was a lefty and there aren't that many left-handed pitchers out there. Um, and I knew you didn't have to be six foot, six foot six to make it to the big leagues. Um, I, I, I was never the shortest, but I was never the tallest either. Um, yeah. you know, so I, I knew I still had the chance, um, you know, as I got into high school, and probably towards the back end of high school when uh, college coaches start reaching out and when I went to a few showcases and, um, you know, was was talking to different teams and scouts, um, did I realize that college baseball was possible? I don't think professional baseball, um, I thought, was was feasible anytime soon. I thought maybe maybe after college, uh, but my first it was probably my first scrimmage game of my senior year did I realize that. Um, I could I could become a professional baseball player when you know I, when I show up to the field and there are already ten to fifteen scouts there waiting waiting for my start. So um, you know it's you you hear things, but not until you actually see it do you actually realize that it could, that it could come true. Absolutely. So you as you're finishing high school, you end up picking to go to St. John's University. Um, talk a little bit about you know getting to play in the Big East and playing you know top level baseball there. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a great experience for sure. Um, I'm, I'm I'm still close with pretty much everyone I played with. Uh, see see the coaches a lot. Um, you know some of the coaches are at different schools now and still stay in touch with them and and visit and sometimes work out and talk to their their team over there at the schools that they're at. Yeah. Um. So it's definitely. Um. I don't think I'd be where I am right now. Um. From the baseball standpoint or even the business standpoint without going to St. John's. Um. We, we had an amazing team. We won the Big East uh, regular season, the Big East tournament my junior year. And I think six or seven guys got drafted uh, that, that year in 2015. So it was just, just an incredible year. 2015 was was one of the best uh, years that I could remember. Yeah. So I want to highlight that because somebody listening says, Phil, I never even played baseball. Why, why the heck are you going to teach me a life lesson in baseball? But in a team, there's so many different dynamics, right? And especially if you got six or seven guys that are getting drafted, there's a chance that there might be a couple egos, right? We don't need to call anyone out by name, but like there's a chance that there's a couple egos here, right? Like I'm really good. And oftentimes if we focus on just us as the individual, that can harm the team, right? So talk a little bit about the dynamic and what it took for you guys to come together to be great individually, but also bring that together to be a great team. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the challenging thing about playing on a team in a team sport is that usually every year you're going to have a different team, you yeah. know, in professional sports and in college sports, you're going to have new faces, 
right? So there's always those new guys that come in and, you know, they, they think they're the best. They're, they're cocky. Um, they're arrogant. Um, and I think it's really up to the coaching staff and the upperclassmen to really, or in professional sports, maybe the veteran leadership to, yeah. um, you know, take, you know, take that person down a notch, allow them to keep being who they are on the field, you know, bring that confidence on the field. But when you're off the field, you know, you got to be humble. Um, yeah. You have to be a good teammate, a good, um, you know, team player. So I think that's super important at St. John's. Uh, we had definitely had great um, upperclassmen and, and great coaching, a great coaching staff. And I, I don't think anyone on our, on our team was arrogant. I think everyone was confident, but you know, they weren't cocky to each other. You know, we were, yeah. we, we gelled very well. And that's obviously why we were successful because there's plenty of, there's plenty of talented teams out there, especially in professional sports that don't do well, that underperform because they don't gel well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there's tons of them there. There are honestly is more of those than there are teams that figure it out and how to gel together. Exactly. So, so as your team is doing well, like you mentioned, heading into that senior year, um, you're getting some individual um, opportunities to showcase yourself and you've got scouts coming up. So obviously baseball is something you you're confident in, you believe you're good at, and you've proven that you are good at. But talk about handling those moments of pressure. I mean, as a pitcher, I mean, that that's about the most pressure cooked spot you can have in any type of a sport, right? I mean, it's you and one guy and, and you're just throwing right at him. So talk a little bit about managing pressure in those situations. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, I love pressure. Yeah. Um, I, I feel less pressure in pressure situations than non-pressure situations. It's kind of weird. Yeah. You know, I've pitched in, I've pitched in stadiums with 40 to 50,000 people. And I've also pitched on practice fields with three people watching. And I was more nervous pitching in front of those three people um, <laughs> because you can kind of stare at them in the eyes when you're pitching in front of a big crowd. You don't see anyone. You just see a giant blob of people yeah. in the backstop. Um, but I think the key to performing under pressure is just the the preparation beforehand, whether that's years of preparation or even a few minutes or a few hours before uh, that event. And a big thing for me is actually closing my eyes, kind of taking a nap, but not actually going going to not actually falling asleep, but yeah. like closing my eyes and visualizing positive positivity, visualizing striking guys out and, and, and um, you know, maybe walking off the mound, super excited that you just struck the guy out. Yeah. Now, how did you come up with that as your kind of like pregame routine? Um, was that something once you got into the pros you did? Did you do that in college, high school? Talk a little bit about the pregame routine for you. Um, I think 2017. So I think a little bit over time, right? Since yeah. college, even before 2017, I, I knew a little bit about how I perform best. And not everyone performs best like that. Um, but it's just accumulation of over time, just being, you know, from experience playing baseball, trying to figure out, trying new things, trying to see how I perform best. Um, it wasn't really a wake up call for me until 2021. So pretty recently, um, I had one of my worst outings of my life. Couldn't throw any, couldn't throw the ball anywhere near a strike zone. And prior to going into the game, I, I drank like, like, an, uh, like one and a half energy drinks, like way too, way too much caffeine. I was jittery. Yeah. Um, you know, and right after that, that was a wake up call that I am the opposite kind of athlete. I need to be mm. calm, relaxed. I can't have any caffeine in my body. Yeah. Right. So soon after, and then I pitched really well after that, those next, next month or, or two after that pitched much better than that game. And prior to then, um, kind of developed a routine of 
trying to put my body into a calming state, but not a state where I can't perform because you obviously want to be warm and loose and you don't want to, you know, tear any muscles when you're performing. Um, so this, this season, 2022 is when I, when I really started not really meditating, but more closing my eyes and, um, you know, visualizing success. And in this, this past winter ball, um, season I played in Puerto Rico, I, I really put it to the test and, and it worked really well. Um, in two or three of the games where I, where I did like this full routine, I think I gave up one hit and had like seven or eight strikeouts in like three innings. So, um, you know, obviously you're not, that it doesn't guarantee that you're going to perform every single yeah. time, but it's going to put you in the best possible position to succeed. I love it. And, you know, there's actually a lot of research out there. They, uh, I forget which, um, basketball team it was, but they had a basketball team and they had one group be the control group that just mentally shot free throws. And then they had one group that was the, the group that actually shot free throws. And then they had them come together and shoot the free throws and see what they had average versus what they finished. And the group that shot zero actual free throws, but just mentally vi visualized it wasn't much different than the team that actually had shot the free throws. And to your point, there's a lot of power in visualizing it. But I think the other thing that happens when you visualize is you mentally prep. And even if something goes wrong, you go, well, I've already lived this, you know, whereas sometimes, you know, we, we're trying to get so positive about something that we think about only the good parts. And then something goes a little awry and it can rattle our cage a bit opposed to being like, Hey, I already knew I wasn't going to strike everyone out tonight. Now that someone got a hit. All right. We're moving on to the next thing. Exactly. No, a hundred percent. And at the end of the day, it's really such a small difference between the good and the elite, mm. right? It's not talent. It, nope. It's to me, it's just the little things, consistency, yeah. especially in baseball, right? Any player in the minor leagues can play in the big leagues, has the talent to play in the big leagues, but does every minor leaguer make it to the big leagues? No. In fact, sometimes there's more talented, talented players in the minor leagues and the big leagues, just that the big leagues figured out the little things are, and are very good at one particular thing. You don't have to be a yeah. five tool athlete to be in the big leagues. Right. Really so good. like you said, when it comes to visualization, I think um, visualization is super important because I think that helps with consistency. Cause like you said, if you're visualizing and then five, 10 minutes later, you're actually performing it, you know, you have more confidence because it feels like you just did that rather yeah. than, you know, trying to go back to a day or two ago in practice and trying to repeat what you did there. That's so good. So as your time at St. John's comes to an end, you do get drafted and uh, this starts the opportunity to be playing in the uh, professional system. So um, I believe if it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you got uh, drafted and signed with the, the White Sox club. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So talk about that. I mean, I, I, to your point, it's not playing in you know the MLB, but it, it's getting that next opportunity. So talk about the excitement and just the, all right, it's time to get back to work. It's time to, you know, prove myself to these folks. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I'd say um, in high school, I, I was offered to, to sign, but I don't think I was, I'm glad I didn't sign because I don't think I was ready yeah. um, mentally and physically, you know, it, it's tough for a set. I wasn't even 18 at the time I was 17. So I think my parents would have had to sign that contract for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so definitely glad I went to college and learned a lot, gained a yeah. lot of experience. Um, so definitely, I think it was an easier transition from college to 
uh, professional baseball with the White Sox, then high school to college. Um, yeah. So St. John's definitely prepared me. Um, it was super exciting that year to get drafted, um, you know, show up to the spring training complex, have, have my locker sitting in the jersey with a bunch of White Sox here, all MLB gear. Um, and I pitched really well that year and obviously put myself in a good position for uh, 2016. Yeah. Now, one of the not so exciting things for you on going to the White Sox was their color scheme and the Major League Baseball rules with the color scheme. So talk a little bit about that, uh, that piece of pie, although it's not the biggest part of playing baseball, it is a part of it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, you have equipment and, you know, no matter who you are, you know, whether you're flashy or not, you want you want to feel good. You want to look good out there. Yeah. You want to feel good. So, you know, you're not going to wear uh, ripped up cleats and, you know, worn out uh, pants. So you, you want you want nice looking equipment. Um, I remember I'm pretty sure it was the end of 2016 or somewhere in 2016 um, where I had a pair of black Nike cleats and everything was black except for a little bit of white on the toe and the Nike check, the Nike swoosh. And I remember a co- uh, one of our coordinators was in town and he said, Hey, cats, you gotta, you gotta take a Sharpie and, and, and black it out. And yeah. obviously we, we, we have to do what we're told, you know, we're yeah. not going to, we're not going to argue it. Um, you know, I thought in my head, I thought that was crazy, but you know, I did it anyway. So, um, you know, when, you know, when, when, um, when I got invited to play in the world baseball classic, that was, that was the first time as a professional where I could wear, you know, some, some swag, some swaggy cleats out there and, and not get in trouble. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. So you go and play for the Israel world baseball classic team and you decide, you know, Hey, I'm going to make or create some shoes that are going to really coordinate well with our, our, uh, uniform. So talk a little bit about that. And then, uh, some of the notoriety that becomes a few weeks later with, uh, with senior cleats out there. Yeah, so I actually had a pair of blue Nike cleats uh, for the qualifiers with Team Israel in September. Uh, we played three games, won all of them, and advanced to the main World Baseball Classic tournament. I, I didn't pitch in any of the games in September. Um, so the the cleats were pretty much unused, just you know maybe a little bit dirty on the bottom, and I was able to clean them within two minutes. So I figured I'd be wearing the same cleats, but you know, I thought, you know, I had seen people painting shoes and sneakers and cleats before, but I really knew nothing about it. Didn't really know anyone that did it. Um, yeah. or, or once I found someone, I couldn't, didn't really have enough time to get it done before the tournament in March or before I had to leave mid February. Um, so basically just met up with a friend and painted some shoes and they didn't come out that good. They came out. All right. They're actually right there in the case right there. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, wore them in the world baseball classic. They have some blue and silver. So they're kind of, kind of flashy. Um, I pitched well in that tournament and, um, I ended up actually opening up an Instagram page kind really as a joke, posted the picture of my cleats as the first pick. Yeah. DM'd every single friend or follower that I had on my personal Instagram page, texted some other friends and teammates and said, Hey, can you follow us? And then maybe five or 10% of them said, how can, how can you customize my cleats? Pretty much just charge them 10 bucks, painted a Nike check, really had no idea what we were doing. And, um, you know, that's, and, and the rest is history. Yeah, so we're going to get through the rest of it. We're not ending with the rest of history. So as as I understand the story, um, a few weeks later, um, you get a DM from from somebody 
And uh, he might have signed a big contract recently with the Yankees to do a pair of shoes. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it, it wasn't actually Aaron Judge who DM'd us. It was Rob Refsnyder, who was a okay. teammate of his and one of his good friends on the Yankees. And What Pros Wear is an Instagram page that posts a lot of cool-looking baseball equipment. And they reposted the picture of my cleats for the World Baseball Classic. And I guess Ref Snyder was a follower of What Pros Wear. <laughs> saw that saw that we were a new, new and upcoming company. He probably had 50 followers at that point and, said, and DM'd us and said, hey, how can we... Um, um, you know, how can, how can my friend, how can me and my friend Aaron get a pair of custom cleats? Um, and this was 2017. So Aaron judge was not really a huge name at that point. Right. Um, but we, we knew he was a six foot seven, you know, you know, beast yeah. on, a Yan- on a Yankees, a big name team. And obviously he was like one of the top prospects. So we knew there was a bright future. Um, Basically, I'm pretty sure we did those for free. Sent a, sent in a box of like ten pairs. I think we did them all for free. Didn't yeah. charge one dollar. And during during my All Star break in 2017, I came home and hand delivered them um, at Yankee Stadium. How cool! So from yeah, that there, was pretty cool. Yeah. So from there, you get the opportunity to have the word spread. So talk a little bit about you know your business now. Talking from a business standpoint. Once again, you put yourself out there. Hey, I don't know if this is going to do anything or not, right? I'm just texting friends, you know, hey, maybe they'll want me to do something. But talk about the uh, power of publicity, the power of, you know, just word of mouth if you do good work for good people. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think back then is when Instagram didn't have all these, uh, you know, blocks and features, right? Because I, you know, even with 129,000 followers right now, I feel like, Sometimes our reach was greater years ago yeah. with half the amount of followers. I feel like posts aren't getting as much love as or views as they once did. Yeah. Um, but the power the power of social media, which is pretty much free, obviously. Most people don't do paid ads on Instagram or on social media. So it's free to join and post. Yeah. Um, and obviously the power of word of mouth and connections. You combine those two or three things and and, you know, you have the potential of creating a successful business. And that's pretty much what we've done. Haven't really spent any more money on marketing, probably less than a thousand dollars, less than $500 a year on marketing. Um, and it, it's grown to a, a pretty, you know, a bigger, a, a bigger thing than I've ever, ever could have imagined. Absolutely. Now from working with a couple of the Yankees, then how does it kind of grow from there? From there? Um, Pretty much was just my friends and yeah. friends of friends, teammates, you know, teammates or friends of teammates. Um, and then over time, obviously, those friends or those teammates would post on their Instagram pages or their stories. And then random people that follow them then ordered and then just grew over time. I'm pretty sure the first year or two, we didn't even have a website. So it wasn't for a few years later that we actually had a website and it started to feel like a legit business. Then yeah. it, it even for the first two or three years, it felt like just a hobby. We yeah. were taking orders manually by um, Instagram. And I think it was a lot more work back then than it is now. You know, obviously it's yeah. still a good amount of work, but everything was manual back then. Now there's obviously a lot more automation. Yeah. Now in 2019, as you're growing, um, the MLB actually kind of, I guess, authenticates you guys and says, hey, you're an authorized footwear company, which is a big deal because there's not a lot of those. So talk about, you know, having that, I guess, I don't know, 
check mark, if you will, by your name that opens up some doors as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know how MLB works intern internally, um, but I know from our contract, you're you're only supposed to create custom footwear for on-field usage for MLB players if you're authorized by MLB. And I heard from a few different people that there's only like two or three authorized customizers. Um, so I'm not saying we're a monopoly, but you know, we're definitely in a good position. Um, and it's definitely helped tremendously in, um, you know, working with a lot of major league baseball players. It obviously helps too, that, you know, I play professional baseball and, and know a lot of, uh, players and obviously a lot of players that I know know a lot of other people as well. So, um, the combination of two have definitely helped. Yes. Absolutely. Now, throughout all of this, you're still playing baseball. So you are with the White Sox and then you get called to go to the double A Cubs organization through this. So talk a little bit about that next step in progressing and, you know, also joining the Cubs. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, in between the Cubs and uh, White Sox, I was traded to the Orioles, Okay. then re-signed back with the White Sox, uh, played a year in independent baseball. Uh, then signed with the Royals. Then there was COVID, so never actually got to pitch for the Royals. Then the following year, as a free agent, signed with the Cubs um, and made it to Double A, which is you know another step or two closer to the big leagues. Yeah. Um, so um, that has definitely, uh, definitely, definitely grateful for the opportunities the Cubs gave me because uh, you know not you know very very few professional baseball players or minor leaguers even get to Double A and you know, double A level is, you know, you're closer to the, you know, some guys get called to the big leagues from double A. So, um, you know, it's definitely um, a pretty a high level to be in, in professional baseball. Yeah. Now in the professional baseball side, I mean, once again, you just gave me about five different organizations yeah. you had been a part of. So, I mean, talk about the emotional wear and tear on a guy through, I mean, not only handling, the day in day out baseball piece of it, but then potentially new teams, new teammates, um, and then also running a business on top of it. I mean, what is Alex doing to just handle all of these different spinning plates? Yeah. I mean, I think um, staying, keep staying composed as a professional baseball player in the minor leagues um, has definitely helped me run, run the business uh, effectively and stay calm. You know, I never yell. We have 43 people that work for us. I don't think in five, six years I've ever yelled at anyone. I stay super, super professional. No matter what the situation is, I stay calm, try to figure it out, get, you know, you know, um, in, in a smooth manner. Um, and, you know, I think those are all lessons I learned being a professional athlete, playing professional baseball. Cause I mean, I've been traded, I've been released multiple times, but as many times as it's been released, you know, twice as many times have I actually, have I been given a contract to play for yep. professional baseball, right? It's not like I got released one time and that was it, right? Yep. So to me, that just, everything's meant to be. And it, it means that, you know, the next time I sign with a team, I'll be given a contract, right? Which is, which is the best feeling ever. Um, So, you know, I've definitely handled a lot of adversity playing professional baseball, you know, pretty much from the start, being yeah. told that I was going to get drafted much higher than I did, being told I was going to sign for a lot more money than I did, um, you know, to getting traded, to released, to repeating levels in the minor leagues, to having poor outings and bouncing back and having good outings, um, you know, seeing guys that were, you know, drafted years, 
uh, after me making to the big leagues within a year or two and, you know, feeling like I'm not going anywhere. Um, There's so many, you know, to, to, to making barely anything playing minor league baseball, Um, you know, so um, pretty much dealt with a little bit of everything while playing professional baseball. And um, I wouldn't change a thing because it's definitely, uh, it made me, it has made me who I am and, um, you know, I definitely am grateful for the position that I am in right now. Now, Alex, as I hear you say that, I mean, my head goes to perseverance, sticking with it, grit, right? I mean, bouncing back. And my guess is out of all the people that you've seen come through the minor league system, the number you've seen make it to the pros versus the number that you've seen get the heck out of Dodge and say, Hey, it's not for me. There's probably a lot more <laughs> on the side that have decided it's not for me. What keeps you motivated and burning to get to the pros, even through all of the adversity that you've uh, had to go through so far? Yeah. I mean, I think a big thing, you know, I'd say two things. One is just the grind of playing right. And not being home, being away from your family. Um, I have a super supportive family and they, they come to as many games as possible. Yeah. Um, and I think two is the financial, you know, the financial issues of playing minor league baseball. I mean, you know, I think in the past it's, it's definitely gotten better. And now minor league baseball is unionized. I'm sure it's going to change significantly over the next few years, but uh, first few years in minor league baseball, I think I was making eight to $12,000 a year during the season. You know, you can't, that's, that's below the poverty line. You can't live right. off that. Right. Right. So um, you know, on top, on top paying for housing, paying the clubhouse dues, paying for food. Right. So now maybe that's splitting in half. So now you're living off, you can't live off five to $6,000 a year. Right. Um, you know, so for me, I think one, number one is passion for the game. Yeah. Two is realizing how close I am. And three, you know, having that secondary income allows me to keep chasing the dream without having to worry about, uh, that paycheck that I make in the minor leagues. I love it, man. I love it. Now, as 2021 MLB All-Star Game comes strolling around, um, you get the opportunity to kind of partner with Red Bull, Chris Bryant. So talk a little bit about um, you know, how all of that came to be and just the impact of the MLB All-Star Game 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think the All-Star Game is one of the, one of the coolest events yeah. in, the cu- in the customization world besides My Cause, My Cleats, which was just finished up or we just wrapped up with the NFL yes. um, in MLB, you know, you have the futures game, you have the all-star game, the home run derby, the celebrity softball game. Right. So there's, you know, four major events that are going on and, and who doesn't want a cool pair of cleats or shoes for that, or even yeah. a bat right for the home run derby. Um, so every year that's, that's a huge event for us. As far as Red Bull, that was definitely a fun collab uh, for with Chris Bryan. I know. Yeah, they turned into a YouTube video, and I think it's still up there on the Red Bull YouTube channel. If you search um, Chris Bryant, uh, I think it's in Chicago. I think it was just before he got traded to the Giants. Okay. Um, there's a he does like all these like crazy tasks in a in a batting cage with all these cool neon lights, and we we our our company customized the bats in that in that video. So that that was definitely a blast. Yeah. Now, additionally, you partner with Mizuno um, and uh, or Mizuno out the uh, Salvador Perez. So, talk a little bit about how that relationship came to be and kind of cultivating that and getting to work together. Yeah, so Salvador wore our cleats in the in the Homer Derby last year. 
I think for the for the past three or four home run derbies, we've had at least one or two of um of the athletes wearing our cleats. So I think I think a a, a big goal of ours is to have at least one or two pairs of our shoes in any major sporting events, including a Super Bowl, World Series, um, even PGA. Uh, PGA events, stuff like that. Um, but with Salvador Perez, we actually partner with uh, More Than Baseball, which is a charity that helps minor leaguers in need. Uh, they do some amazing work. Um, and with Salvador's cleats, I believe that his pair was auctioned off on MLB auctions. And then all the proceeds went back to More Than Baseball to, uh, cool. to help minor leaguers. How cool. What a full circle right there. Yep. Now, additionally, you mentioned, hey, we uh, we have also started to uh, be in the NFL and do some um, uh, philanthropic work with what the NFL is trying to do, but also with just individual athletes. So talk about how you guys kind of branched into the uh, the NFL uh, atmosphere as well. Yeah, so, I, um, you know, just like any other sport, it usually starts with just one or two athletes. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it's not like we're creating all these sample shoes to show what we could do where, you know, people are ordering and then we're posting their work. Right. So if yeah. 95% of our customers are, are baseball players and almost all of our pictures are going to be baseball cleats. Yeah. Right. So it, to me, it just started as maybe a football player reaching out to a football player, a football player, seeing that we did baseball cleats and realizing that we could do the same with football cleats and then, um, you know, becoming, um, just a chain reaction after that of maybe his teammate ordering or people that know him ordering. Um, now we have those pictures of the football cleat, the post, and maybe now we attract more football players, youth athletes, college athletes, and uh, professional athletes. Um, also on our website, we offer concepts. So we offer designs that are already designed by us mm. and then people just click and order instead of messaging us going over a million different designs. So um, that definitely helps attract athletes of different sports so if we want to break into a new sport we just drop new concepts relating to that sport um and then over time um you know i'd say starting two years ago we started doing a lot of outreach a lot of cold call not really cold calls cold emails yeah uh, email blasts to people you know people in all different sports all different colleges uh we got a hold of people and that work for different nfl teams and our first team that we worked with for my cause my cleats event um, was the Buccaneers. And then uh, this year we actually work with four NFL teams, the Vikings, the Buccaneers, um, the Bills and the Cowboys. So it, it, it was a blast and uh, definitely uh, super, super smooth. And um, we actually got to go to the Buccaneers and Patriots game this past week. So that How was, cool. that was, that was definitely a thrill to see all the, um, all the athletes wearing the cleats and, you know, talking about it on TV, on the video board and, and all the um, publicity surrounding those cleats, which were all for a good cause. Absolutely. So, you know, within that, it, you're you're getting the opportunity to pursue your your top passion, like you said at the beginning, but you also are getting to do something you love in regards to designing cleats and, you know, spicing them up and making them badass. So, you know, for you, as you're balancing both of those, What's the hardest part right now between pursuing two things that you enjoy with as much vigor as you can to make sure that you have success at the highest level in both? Uh, the, the challenging thing is that they both require nonstop work. Yeah. Right. So there's really never a relaxation. <laughs> um, but if you love what you do, you don't mind those two things. So yeah. I'm I'm always doing one or the other. 
Um, but it's not like I'm mishmashing the two. It's not right. like all of a sudden I'm working on the shoes and then it's like, oh, I realize now I have to do something for baseball. Yeah. To me, it's just separating my day, especially in off season, separate my day into two. Even during the season, I separate my day into two because we're not for, you know, 95% of the time, it's a night game. We're not at the field at 9, 10, 11 uh, in the morning. Um, you know, so during the season, during the off, off season and season are pretty much flip-flop during the season um in the morning before i have to go to the field obviously i you know make sure i get enough sleep one um you know eat breakfast and then i work on the shoes a little bit you know until i have to be at the field and then once i'm at the field it's pretty much focused on baseball the whole rest of the day um you know because after the game no one you know with all the adrenaline after playing no one is going to bed right away you know yep. so usually when i get back i work for an, an hour or two or as long as I'm not tired, when I get tired, obviously I go to sleep. During the off season, pretty much it's wake up, eat breakfast, work out, spend as much time as I need working out, training, getting my throwing in. And then with whatever time I have left to the rest of the day, whether it's three hours or, or 12 hours, then I'll work on the shoes. Um, so it works out perfectly. I don't think I'm distracted one bit because no matter what you do, there's got to be some sort of free time. Um, a lot of baseball players will play video games for 14, 12 hours in a day. Instead of doing that, I don't really play video games. And, you know, I basically designing shoes and working on the company is, is my main hobby outside of baseball. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I love about what you said today is just how skills we learn in one area of our life can be transferable across many areas of our life, right? There's no doubt that one of the reasons that your business is growing and you're doing great there is because of some of the disciplines and routine and habits that you learned from having to play baseball for so long in your life. It's like, well, if I just apply that to my business and I'm disciplined, I'm routine, I do what I say I'm going to do when I do it, then I'll be able to have success in business as well. Yeah, no, for sure. hundred percent. I, I think they go hand in hand. Um, I don't think the business would be successful if I wasn't, um, not just a baseball player, but professional baseball and have dealt with all the things I've dealt with. Um, they go hand in hand for sure. And, you know, sometimes I take, you know, I, I like to take a moment and, and realize, um, you know, I guess to try to de-stress myself, not that I'm stressed, but, you know, maybe after working for so long on with the baseball and the shoes, you know, to sit back and realize that, you know, most people don't do one or the other. Most people aren't professional athletes and most people don't run their own business. So, you know, sometimes maybe I need to take the pressure off myself and just take a step back and, you know, realize how far I've come and, you know, nothing is perfect. You know, there's always going to be setbacks and, um, you know, there's always, um, you know, to move forward, you have to take a step back sometimes. I love it. I love it. Well, Alex, are there any other pivotal moments that really stand out to you that you want to make sure we highlight uh, in your story up to this point? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. I love it, brother. Well, hey, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and all the uh, amazing things that you've been able to accomplish. Uh, excited to continue to watch your journey and can't wait for you to one day wear your customized kicks in the MLV on the on the big stage, my man. Hey, that's the goal. That's the goal. That would be amazing. I got no doubt you'll get it done. Keep working hard, brother. Yeah, thanks, Phil.